Exodus 20, 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Welcome back to our series that we're in, Long Story Short, where we've been looking at the Bible from creation all the way through the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. A lot of people think of the Bible as a book. It's really a collection of books, of ancient books, 66 different ones by approximately 40 different authors written over the span of around 1400 years and longer than that if you count the years that it was passed down by oral tradition before put into writing. It's a hugely significant work, one of the most, just from a historical standpoint, uh, when you talk about literature and historical literature, it's, it is, there's nothing like it in the world. And, and, but the most amazing part of it is that all, that, all those different authors, all those different books, all those different genres of literature, everything from poetry to history to uh, letters that were written personally and all these different things weave one common story. And so we've been saying that the Bible tells the most important story ever written. That Jesus is the subject, and we've been seeing that each week, even as we're in the Old Testament, we're definitely going to see that today. That even, even when we look at the background before Jesus ever showed up on the scene, we can see how it all ties together with Jesus as the subject. And your life and mine and all of creation hangs in the balance of this story. That's what we believe as Christians, and we've been making the case for that as we go. Uh, definitely, if you missed the first message of this series, I think it's foundational. 
It's foundational to the whole Bible. And so we'd encourage you to go back on our podcast or our website uh, or on our Facebook page and access that. And uh, you can listen to that anytime. So just to catch you up, at creation we said that God ordered everything with boundaries and, and balance and that things got out of order when humankind decided to order things our own way, to make our own rules, to use creation and live in creation in our own ways rather than in the ways that God designed us to. And so we settled for something less than what God had planned for us. We settled for something uh, different than what He designed us for. And so when we look at around our world and we see brokenness in our lives and in our relationships, and we see problems all across the world and in the news every day, we see these as signs and results and consequences of the fact that God's creation is out of order, uh, that humankind has a way of getting out of bounds and out of balance from what God initially created and described. And so we went from there to uh, how God decided to set things right or begin to work to make things right again through ordinary people like you and me. And he started with a guy named Abraham. And he said, God, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and multiply you and you're gonna, your family is going to become a, a whole nation. And through that nation, I'm going to bless all the nations. Uh, and so the whole world will be blessed through you. And God began his, his process of reclaiming his good creation through Abraham. And then Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob, whom God named Israel. And Israel had 12 sons that became 12 tribes. And, and they moved to Egypt because the famine was severe and they found help in Egypt. But soon they were enslaved there and they ended up enslaved there for about 430 years before God called Moses to go and deliver his people out of Egypt. Famous story, right? Uh, it's been made into movies time and again. And so last week we looked at this idea that God sets us free by his mighty outstretched arms. And we tied that from the Exodus to what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so that was really cool. And, but today we want to kind of take the next step because we know what happens if we've watched the movies. After Moses leads them out of Egypt, he, God, through Moses, gives the people the law. And we read the most famous bit of that today in our scripture reading. Uh, Kenneth, do you happen to have the, the thing we talked about? <laughs> Which I've asked Kenneth if he would come and he's one of our officers that attends our church and if you come and just put me in handcuffs don't haul me off and, and, and please in front of me not behind me because I've got a function <laughs> and not too tight y'all don't want to see me cry <laughs> and y'all need a longer chain in the middle <laughs> alright thank you <laughs> it's going to be a long day. If not, maybe Doug has his. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to talk about the law. And when you live under the law, this is a lot of times what it feels like and sometimes what it looks like when you're under the law. Right? This is the consequence of not following the law. And a lot of people view God as a police officer who's watching them to see if they break the law and if they do to haul them off to jail or hell or whatever. Okay? And so this is how a lot of Christians function in the world. Under the law. 
And what's interesting is we read, uh, you know, we talked last week about how God sets us free by His mighty outstretched arms. And we talked about freedom. And throughout the New Testament, it talks about freedom. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the apostles said it was for freedom that you were set free. And over and over again, they talk about freedom. And if you're like me, you read that and you're like, what are they talking about? Freedom. It doesn't feel like freedom. It feels like this. Right? This is what it feels like. That you... I mean, anyone, just in our culture, we're, we all think we know what Christianity is, whether we've opened a Bible or not, because we grew up in America, and there's just a Christian background there. And so, if you talk to someone about coming to faith in Christ, or you talk to someone about coming to church, this is what they picture. Why would I want to do that? I'm enjoying my life. Why do I want to submit to a whole bunch of rules and laws and things that I'm going to be bound up in chains by? I want to be free to do what I want to do. To live life the way I want to live it. Uh, how could you possibly talk about the Christian life as freedom when here we are in the middle of this sermon about uh, this uh, sermon series about the Bible and we're talking about the law? And so this is where we live. Thou shalt not. Everyone knows about the Ten Commandments. I mean, if nothing else, they know it from news and how it got taken out of courthouses and out of public schools and different things like that. And Christians threw fits about it. And oh my goodness, we're taking the Ten Commandments out of everything. And we're kicking God out and therefore uh, we're going to be punished. And so that's a narrative that we're familiar with. And, and those Ten Commandments are things that we hold dear. And sometimes we hold a little too dear. And sometimes we hold over people's heads. And it's a thou shalt not thing. And that's what most people know about Christianity. The funny thing is... That's what they ought to know about Judaism. Because this was the Jewish people. And this is the covenant between God and Abraham's family. God, we talked about a few weeks back, how he made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all people. And this is an extension of that. This is God showing back up and saying, hey, I remembered my covenant, my promise to Abraham. And I'm going to renew it now with his children, his great, 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 great grandchildren, right? 400 and some odd years later. I'm going to renew that covenant with them and I'm going to give them my law. And they're going to live out my law and I'm going to bless them in return. And if they refuse me and my law, there's going to be consequences for that. And the truth be told, many of us still live under that covenant and under that law. So let's talk about it today. It's Ten Commandments. There's a whole bunch of other laws too. If you keep reading through Exodus and into Deuteronomy and Leviticus is real fun. If you haven't read Leviticus, there's, there's rules for everything. Uh, get to the chapter on sexual relations and your eyes will be open to different kinds of lifestyles that you didn't know existed, uh, but they have existed and still yet do, no doubt, in some corners of societies. But there's a lot of laws, but the most famous ones, the most critical ones, are famously known as the Ten Commandments. And God came down on Mount Sinai, right, in thunder and smoke, and He told Moses, put boundaries around the mountain. Don't let anyone cross the line, or else they'll be struck dead. 
And I'm going to come down and you're going to hear my voice thundering and, you're, and the people are going to know that it's me talking. And sure enough, the people knew that it was him talking and they said, Moses, we don't want that anymore. That scared us to death. So why don't you talk to God for us and just let us know what he says. So they made that kind of deal. So Moses goes up on the mountain and God hands him stone tablets. Famous, right? With the Ten Commandments on them. And they put those in the Ark of the Covenant that they kept in the tabernacle everywhere they went. And these commandments were precious to them. They were known by heart. You'd be surprised what all people knew by heart in a, in a mostly illiterate society. In fact, I was hearing just a, just a random fact for you, some trivia. Uh, I heard a psychiatrist talking the other day about how even today people who are illiterate can remember so much more than the rest of us. And it's because they have to use their mind that way, whereas most of us externalize things. You know, we, don't, we write it down or, or put it on Wikipedia so that we can just read it when we need it and not have to carry it around with us all the time. Uh, but people back in that day, you know, people, we wonder, how could they pass down oral tradition without it getting really confused? Well, they memorized things word for word and passed it on from generation to generation. It was, a, it was an art. It was what they did. It's how they, they didn't have a way to write it down, so they stored it in their minds and in their hearts. And these Ten Commandments, no doubt, one of the first things that any Jewish child would learn. And we, we, we know them, at least the gist of them. You may not have them memorized. I had to kind of refresh my memory today before. I'm not good with the trivia facts thing. I'm more to externalize it and read it later when I need it. Um, but it starts off with things about God, right? Like, you'll have no other God before me. And don't create some kind of idol that and worship it as though it's me. Because I'm not a created thing. I'm the creator. Right? Don't Make sure that you don't use my name in vain. You need to respect me and revere me and fear me. For I am God Almighty. And don't just take me lightly. Honor and remember my Sabbath day. It's a day to rest. It's a day to stop all your strivings. And remember it's me who takes care of you. And remember to worship me. And so those first few commandments... We could sum them up with one word. Love. And specifically, love for who? Love for who? Love for God. And then it goes into some others like, honor your father and mother. Alright? Uh, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. What's not yours? Simple commands, we could sum up with one word. Love. Specifically for who? For others, right? Love for other people. And I'm not the first one to say that we could sum it up that way. They asked Jesus, of all the commands, which are the greatest? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments hinge on this. And even as just one word, he said, this is my command to you. Like, you know all the commands? Well, here's my one command for you. Love one another. So this is the law. In the Old Testament, people got stoned to death for violating it sometimes. 
But on some level, they were all guilty and they knew it. And so on a regular basis, they offered offerings. They would, in that culture, they would kill an animal, lay it on the altar, and offer it up to God as a sacrifice, atoning for their sins. They had to do this on a regular basis. The high priest did this every year on a special day called the Day of Atonement where he dealt with his sins and then he dealt with the sins of the people. And that was the one day that he would enter the Holy of Holies, that holiest place in the center of the tabernacle where they kept the Ark of the Covenant and in the Ark of the Covenant the commands, right? He would enter that place and he'd spread blood there on top of the Ark as atonement for all the ways that they had broken God's commands. And this is proof that there's only so much the law can do. The law can inform us of how we're supposed to live. It can teach us about God and His character, but it cannot transform the human heart. The New Testament, and specifically the Gospels that tell us the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, go into great detail uh, and, and imagery to show us that Jesus is a, the new Moses, amongst other things. And one of the ways it does that is it keeps putting Jesus on the mountain, right? Uh, he famously taught the Sermon on the Mount, where he goes up on the mountain, and the people gather around, and he begins to teach them his law. And it's so different. I mean, similar, but different. Like, for instance, he'll talk about murder. But instead of saying, don't murder somebody, like, don't go kill them, because you don't like them, or whatever. Uh, instead, he said, he went and dove down all the way to the heart issue, right? And he said... If you're even feeling hateful towards other people, you're murdering them in your heart. For Jesus, it wasn't about legalism. It was about the human heart. Uh, the spirit behind the law. He would talk about adultery and say, you know, you think you're doing good if you, uh, you know, talking to a culture where the men would just set aside their wives whenever they wanted to as damaged goods and go marry the new little beauty that they wanted to pursue. And, and she would be left in a terrible situation. But it's alright because he did it legally so he didn't commit adultery. And Jesus said, when you even looked at that little new beauty that you wanted to marry and started thinking about what you wanted to do, you were committing adultery in your heart. So Jesus, man, he took a whole different approach to the law. And if we're not careful, we'll think that he was just adding on to it. But that's not what he said he was doing. He said in that very sermon that he did not come to abolish the law, as in to say it was worthless, as in to say that it should have never been. He came to fulfill the law or complete it, bring it to completion, fulfillment. I'm sure that people struggled to know what he meant by that. And sometimes we do too. There's also a time that Jesus went up on a mountain with just three of his disciples. And they call it being transfigured 
he was somehow transformed before their very eyes in a way that they found hard to describe. And he sat there on this mountain with Moses and Elijah, who also appeared representing the law and the prophets, and Jesus there representing the fulfillment of both. It's a famous moment on a mountain, another Moses-like moment, and there he is with Moses. There's another moment where Jesus is on a mountain and darkness swirls. And we know that mountain as Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. Jesus is portrayed as this new Moses. We talked on the week about the covenant with Abraham. We talked about how Jesus came to bring a new covenant, right? And how when he died on the cross, he fulfilled the, the curse sanction of the original covenant by dying and shedding his blood. And also that blood initiated a new covenant. That's Jesus' own words. He said, whenever we take communion, right, we, we reenact that. He said, this is my blood. I'm starting a new covenant. So what does that new covenant involve? That's what I want to talk with you about in the rest of our time today. Because we all know about the Ten Commandments and we all know what it feels like to live like this. To live under the law. And it's real attractive when we say, hey, come join us at church. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think I'll pass. So, there's a book in the New Testament. That's after Jesus had died and resurrected and ascended. Uh, the apostles would write things. And we're not exactly sure who wrote Hebrews, but it's so valuable. Especially when it comes to making sense of Old Testament stuff. Uh, that's why it's called Hebrews. Uh, and it really deals with a lot of this Old Testament thing and how does that tie in with Jesus. And so uh, if you're ever interested in that, it's a great book. Sometimes there's chapters in that book where you have to read it a few times because you're like, what are they saying? Uh, but in Hebrews, we're going to look a little bit in Hebrews 8 and later in Hebrews 10. Uh, the author of Hebrews quotes a prophet, Jeremiah. And this is going to come up again says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. This is pre-Jesus, a prophet, Jeremiah, saying, I will make a new covenant. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Here's how it's going to be different, it says. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Instead of writing them on stone, and sticking them in the Ark of the Covenant and requiring sacrifices to be made because they were living under the law, said, I'm going to do a whole new strategy. I'm going to write it on their minds and on their hearts. This is the nature of the new covenant in Christ. And the author of Hebrews points out that by calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. It's been fulfilled. And outdated. Meaning it will soon disappear. Here's my main point for you today. If you want to fill in the blanks on your card, this would be the time to do it. Um, if you don't want to, don't. <laughs> Thou shalt not have been replaced with brand new hearts. 
This is the essence of the gospel. That Jesus came as an Israelite, as a son of Abraham, as a son of that covenant, but also as the son of God, and one with authority to make a new covenant by his own bloodshed. And he fulfilled the first covenant and began a new covenant, so that thou shalt not would be replaced with brand new hearts. This is, again, because the law, while really helpful and informative, is not transformative. Right? The law gives us a picture of how God believes we should live. If you want a a picture of what does that look like, okay, what does it look like to, to love God and love others? Well, here's some examples. You know, don't kill people. Don't steal from them. Don't tell lies and get other people in trouble to save your own skin. Tell the truth. Uh, You know, just, it's really helpful and informative to know what does it look like, practically speaking, to live in such a way. But it has no power to transform lives. It does have power to put people in chains. It does have power to make them recognize their guilt and shame. And how far off course we've gotten from what it meant to be human. It does have the power to do that, but it can't make you a new person from the inside out. The law was about behavior modification. Don't do this or else. Do this, I'll bless you. Don't do that, I'll curse you. You know, this is, it's, it's a form of discipline. We do this with our kids. There's a point, there's a, a point to it, right? You, you say, don't do that, or you're going to get a whooping. <laughs> you know, do that over there, and I'll give you candy, or whatever. You know, hopefully not candy. Pick something else. <laughs> so there's a place for it. It's informative. It helps us to learn. It gives us a picture of what we're shooting for. But it's not anything that has power to transform our lives. And the new covenant, you know, the reason that Jesus went through all that he went through, suffered, died, and resurrected, was not so that you could continue in these, under the law, but so that you could have a brand new heart through the resurrection power of his Holy Spirit at work in your life. That's why he came. So, to talk practically about this, I want to. I just wanted to use Hebrews a little bit more, and because it, it talks directly to this in a New Testament context, and I felt like it gave us, it gives some practical pointers that maybe we can apply in our lives a little bit as we sort out what does it mean to live under a new covenant. What would it mean to take these off and stop living under the law and start living into the new life that He has to offer? So in Hebrews 10, it really begins to deal with this and starts by saying he takes away the first in order to establish the second, which is just another way of saying, uh, I just put that up there so you know what we're talking about. It's talking about doing away with the, old, the first covenant and establishing the second one. So he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's talking about life transformation. Let us come and have our hearts 
made new, made right. Let us come and, and not just begin crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's and doing all the thou shalt not. It's, it's not about behavior. There's nothing here talking about behavior. It's talking about life transformation, being changed and cleansed from the inside out. This is the nature, the true nature of the gospel. And it says, let us consider how to, how to stimulate, or some verses say, spur one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So one thing practically we can do if we want to be changed and made new in our hearts is to join with a team that's trying to pursue this new way of life and these new hearts. God, throughout the New Testament, makes it about community. And there's some powerful way that He works through people in relationship and people in community to break chains and to make new hearts. It's really hard to start believing and having your mind renewed. It's really hard to have your heart renewed when you're doing it as a Lone Ranger. Right? When you're out there on your own and, and you're just trying to, to totally change the way that you're thinking and feeling. And you need to be submerged in an entire culture that's trying to do that. Oh, instead of fighting uphill, then you're getting somewhere, you know? Then you're cooking with peanut oil, as they say. <laughs> and so, assemble together. Place a value not just on coming to church and sitting in a row, but getting in circles, right? This is where circles come into play. Not just our circles ministry, but any kind of relational thing where you're doing life together. That's why it's so important that, and why we prioritize and say that circles are better than rows. And we invite everyone who comes and sits in a row at Cypress Street to also go sit in a circle right after church. Or to come the next week before we have circle, a circle that meets then too. But... Get in a, in a place where you can sit face to face with someone and talk about life. And talk about how do we apply this stuff. How do we, what do we believe in our, in our minds and what do we believe in our hearts. What else can we do? Well, we can endure. Now this is kind of heavy and a little bit intense. But check it out. talking about first the law of Moses if you set aside the law of Moses you die without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses that's the way it worked they take you outside of the city and stone you that's the way it worked how much severe the punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace now we're going to get to the endurance part, but I put this up there because I think this is one of the reasons that we have a hard time understanding this whole freedom business when there's verses like this that say that there's even stricter consequences under the new covenant with Christ than under the old covenant with Moses. It sounds like we're still doing the same thing. We're still going to be put in these. We're still going to be hauled off. Well, if you read this in the context that it's spoken in, it talks about people, people who have put their faith in Christ, 
people who have walked into this new life with him who have recognized the reality that he did die and resurrect and offers his Holy Spirit to make them new but instead willfully sin against him like what, what it's talking about is people who Jesus offers this new and better way and they start walking into it and then decide you know what I don't care about all that stuff I just want to do what I want to do. And so they willfully reject Jesus' way of life. They willfully re reject the love lifestyle that Jesus hinged everything on. And what are you doing when you do that? You're trampling underfoot the Son of God. You're regarding as unclean the blood that He shed. You're insulting the Spirit by which he wanted to make you into a new person. And yeah, there's consequences for that. God is a gentleman. He doesn't force people into following Jesus. But if we pretend that there aren't consequences for rejecting the ways of life that our Creator said to live, we're fooling ourselves. Just as, you know, we've used the car analogy, right? Of if a car is designed to be used a certain way, and if you decide you want to use it a different way, go for it, but don't expect it to work properly, right? I mean, go ahead and cut your brake line, but don't expect to stop, right? I mean, it, it's, it's just that kind of thing. So, so that's what it's talking about. If you, if you come to Christ and you recognize, and He's trying to make you into a new creation, and you say, no, I don't want any of that, Aaron and I were talking about this the other day because Aaron was saying that he had some friends at school who believed that you know they had prayed a prayer and so they were good with God and now they just wanted to live however they wanted to live and it wouldn't matter because they were saved forever and so they're good. And the writer of Hebrews would differ in that he would say, no, you are, you are trampling underfoot the Son of God and regarding as unclean His blood shed for you, you are, you are insulting the Holy Spirit by your very lifestyle because he didn't suffer and die and resurrect so that you could just go on living the way you were living but instead to make you something new but where freedom comes in is we're no longer focused on behavior modification we're focused on becoming someone brand new from the inside out and this is a process and this is where endurance comes in and so right after he says that, he says, we are not those who shrink back to destruction. You know, don't be those people. We are not those people. We're not those people. We're the people who say, yes, we're chasing after you, Jesus, and after your way of life. And this passage in, in Hebrews 10 is immediately followed by a long list of people who did not shrink back, but who pressed on. And we find that even in the Old Testament, under the law, the people who were truly right with God were not the ones who got everything just right in the law, but the ones who lived by faith and pursued God and pursued His ways and pursued a new heart with Him. And so eventually, after a whole chapter of examples, right after this verse, example after example of those who endured, of those who did not shrink back, we have this that I want to kind of finish things up with here. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, 
Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is the last thing I want to mention to you. This is the most important thing I want to mention to you. If you want to be transformed from the inside out, See, that's something that the Holy Spirit has to do in your life, but we work with the Holy Spirit in that process. And the most important thing that you can do is keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the one we're trying to look like. It's His heart that we want inside of us. It's His way of thinking about things that we want to begin thinking. It's His way of feeling about people that we want to begin to feel. And so we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus even as we rely on His Holy Spirit to make us a work in progress from the inside out. Why is this freedom? It's freedom. Because you're no longer living under the law. You're no longer trying to, oh, I messed that up. You're no longer that person saying at the foot of Mount Sinai, oh, if I get too close to the barricade, you know, how close is too close? Have you ever heard people ask that? You've probably heard yourself ask that. I've heard myself ask that. How, how much of that can I do before that becomes a sin? Right? How, youth ask this all the time because they're trying to figure it out, right? And, and youth are just wired to be a little bit rebellious and independent and, and they're trying to sort out their boundaries anyway. And so they'll ask, you know, how far can I go with my girlfriend before it's a problem? How far can I go with my boyfriend before it's a problem? Can I smoke a cigarette? Is that a sin? <laughs> and we're always trying to sort out the boundaries. No more. Give it up. We're after a new heart that loves God and loves others that transforms the way that we think and feel so that we're not trying to sort out what rules we need to follow we're trying to sort out how we need to think and feel and when you think and feel the way Jesus thinks and feels those things won't even be attractive anymore those things won't even be something that's, that I mean, it makes sense to you anymore and that's where freedom is found that's where freedom is found it's not about it's not about not going out and getting drunk. It's about, I'm not even interested. That doesn't even look fun anymore. How is that honoring to God and loving other people well? Putting myself under the influence of something else other than His Spirit. You know, it's not about how far can I go with my girlfriend. It's I want to honor her and I want to honor God. So how can I best do that? There's freedom that comes when you realize that it's not about crossing all your T's and dotting all your I's. We're all imperfect, aren't we? There's some T's that we don't get crossed and some I's that we don't get dotted. And sometimes there's things that we don't even recognize that we're dealing with that other people are like, man, I wish they'd get that together. And someday or another, you're probably going to realize, man, I need to get that together and start praying about God to change your heart in that area too. We're works in progress. This is not a thing that happens in an instant in the sense that you'll be perfect. But freedom can happen in an instant. Freedom from the rat race. Freedom from being under the law. 
In fact, we can go ahead and take these off if you got that key. Because <laughs> thou shalt not have been replaced with brand new hearts. These normally go behind the back, but I truly believe he would remain silent. <laughs> he couldn't speak. <laughs> Had to be able to change slides. And that would be kind of weird if I was. <laughs> Thou shalt not have been replaced with brand new hearts. This is the essence of the gospel. Really quickly, I just spent two days at a conference. Um, put on by Mercy Ministries. If you're not familiar with Mercy Ministries, they're an organization that we partner with financially and, and probably in August we usually have uh, the Mercy Girls from the local Mercy Home come to our church and some of them will share testimonies about the transforming power of God in their lives. These are girls that 13 to age 28, um, they go to these Mercy Homes because they've hit the end of their rope. They're either addicted or they're dealing with some kind of eating disorder, or something has control over their lives. Maybe it's suicidal. They all have their own unique story, but they're all at the end of their ropes, and they come for mercy. And mercy walks them through a, usually a six-month process, and their success rate is out of this world. There's no secular thing that compares. There's no rehab hospital that compares. And it dawned on me at this conference where they were sharing their tools and their keys for freedom with pastors and different people in different churches and, and trying to get the word out about what they do so that, so that people who aren't girls from the age 13 to 28 can also find freedom. And so that was the purpose of the workshop. And as they talked about what they do, it finally dawned on me why they're so effective. It's because they're one of the few ministries that I'm aware of that completely gets the gospel right. That it's not about a bunch of thou shalt nots. That it's about brand new hearts. And they're completely focused on helping these girls go back and see where did things go wrong? Where did you begin believing lies that are not from God? How did your belief system get so warped that you believe you'd be better and everyone else would be better if you were dead? How did your belief system get so warped that, that you're in the situation that you are now? And let's begin the process of walking you into a relationship with God where your mind and heart are going to be renewed and transformed so that those things that have a hold on you now will no longer have a hold on you. And instead you'll begin to walk in a new way of life. Their situations are extreme. And yet their situations are reflective of all of our situations. And one thing that we're going to be trying to do here at Cypress Street is recapturing the heart of the gospel. That it's not about a bunch of thou shalt not. So let's not live under bondage to the law anymore. Let's live into freedom in Christ and be transformed from the inside out. Amen?
That's the gospel. And that's why I say that the Bible tells the most important story ever written. Jesus is the subject from front to back. And your life, along with all creation, hangs in the balance. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the law and the picture that it gives us of living your way. And the picture that it gives us of your character and for what it reveals about the brokenness of our hearts and our inability to save ourselves. But God, we also confess that many of us are still living under the law in some shape or form. And so Holy Spirit, remind us that it was for freedom that we were set free. Create something new within us that will transform us in a way that the law never could. God, we pray this in Jesus' name the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.